Hey, what's up everybody? It's Chris from the Highland Hunter Podcast. This will be episode 8 that I recorded with my friend Kevin. We actually recorded this episode back in December, right around Christmas time. But uh, unfortunately, when we recorded, his microphone decided not to work. And uh, all the audio was pretty much only picked up by my microphone. So it's taken me quite a while to kind of edit the audio and pull his feed from my microphone just to bring out that audio and make it a listenable episode. So you're kind of going to notice that the audio might be a little bit off. So with that being said, uh, I highly advise that you guys listen to this episode with headphones. Uh, If you're going to try and listen to it in the vehicle, you know you can, but unfortunately I think the road noise is probably just going to drown out a lot of Kevin's conversation. So if you got the headphones, that's going to be the best way to listen to it. Again, I know I talked to you guys at the beginning of like every episode saying, oh, I'm going to fix the audio, I'm going to fix the audio, but uh, that's just how it goes, trying to start a new hobby and trying to figure out all the electronics with audio recording. So it's been interesting, but uh, I'm just trying to get better. So thanks again for everybody supporting the channel, the podcast, uh, the YouTube page. Uh, all your input's been uh, been really good so far, so... Hope you guys enjoy this next episode, and hopefully I can get some more episodes out to you guys sooner. So, thanks again. So, so you're originally from Idaho. Yeah. yeah. So, you're born and raised in Idaho. Is that where you started to hunt? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I moved to Idaho when I was like three or something. Uh-huh. Born there, but uh, yeah, raised in Idaho. Yeah, my earliest memories of hunting was probably, what, six, eight years old, and uh my dad well we lived up outside of town we owned like 120 acres and having deer around our property i mean i could go out just about any day and shoot a deer you know what i mean there's just deer everywhere pretty mm-hmm. much uh but my earliest memories of hunting was just riding around with my dad in a truck you know he took us out every every year and we'd spend a week sometimes even two weeks and we set up a big camp we'd have family and friends and everybody kind of join us for a big elk hunt and uh that was up on the locksaw river and you know those are always just great times like you know, like, like I said, it wasn't even hunting. I was just riding around in the truck, mm-hmm. get out and walk around with my dad for a little bit, you know. And I remember the year I was probably eight years old, and I heard my first elk bugle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I just, you know, I heard him. He was probably going 100 yards from us, and this big bull elk just screamed at us. We never did see him. But in my little brain, I just imagined this elk was, like, he was just going to charge right in on me. Yeah. That was going to shoot him. Like, I just knew that was going to happen. Now, looking back, I, I know the bull was just probably screaming at us and rounding up his cows and he was getting out of there yeah coming into us you know but you know those early memories was just that stuck with me forever and um and yeah so my dad is one that got it got us into it me and my brothers a few of my older brothers um so yeah we've been hunting my whole life as long as i can remember basically Mm -hmm. so but I, i came in late to the game i was 20 like three when i started that's when i heard my first bully bull bugle was 23 or 24 and i'm sure i was just as giddy like that thing's a dragon look you hear that those are the bunch of other guys that had never heard one in real life either you know because we were all brand new to elk hunting and that's that was down in the breaks and i haven't left that spot down there (laughs) since we started but yeah hearing a bull i can't only imagine at like six seven eight years old hearing something like that for the first time yeah people have never heard them i mean they are especially when you're close to them yeah it's so loud that it's intimidating mm-hmm. you feel the <laughs> you can feel their their bugles you know? yeah 
because they're just so loud and it's it's pretty incredible actually. That's that's one reason why I got into archery hunting was just for the excitement of it. You know, you're up close and personal. Mm -hmm. I just that's, you know that got me hooked big time was just being close to them and being able to feel their <laughs> their beauty, yeah, grunts and all that stuff. It's gets your heart racing for sure the um <clears throat> i think that archery archery and rifle and i've i've talked about it before on this podcast how much different of a feeling it is to hunt with a bow than it is with a rifle i i do like shooting the rifle i just don't get that same f i get excited but at the end of the day, if I shoot something with my bow, I'm going to feel a lot better about it than if I shot it with a rifle. I'm just going to feel more accomplished because yeah. it's so much harder. And like I was saying, when my brother and I went out to hunt those cow elk, I sat and watched this thing for 15 minutes, all these elk moving, contemplating whether or not I should take a shot. If I was bow hunting, I'm shooting the first thing that I see. That's with, you know an ethical shot hopefully but like there's no there's no sitting there going ah, i'm gonna pass on that nah, maybe i don't know i can always come back and do this again some other time no if it's if i have a shot i'm gonna try and take it with a bow so i, I don't know i just kind of lose that uh i don't get my adrenaline isn't pumping as much with a rifle as much as it is with a bow that's just i think most people feel the same way that have yeah. archery hunted you know i haven't killed a ton of deer and i haven't killed a ton of monster deer either but like when i rifle hunt yeah i don't i, I don't really get that nervousness anymore yeah a shakiness when i'm when i'm hunting with the rifle and i still get it with a bow and it's not necessarily when i'm when i'm shooting i'm not real shaky but i definitely get shaky when when they're bugling you know that they're coming in and they start closing the distance you know 40 50 yards or whatever yeah yeah i'll get the shakes there for sure i think it is a distance it's got to be the distance thing because it's more personal because yeah. i i bet you know if you're out rifle hunting and a buck comes into 50 yards for the terrain that we hunt right now where we're at then you're probably going to be like oh man you're gonna you have to move slow you can't just like bring your rifle up and shoulder it and fire a shot i mean i'm sure you could but you don't want to spook the thing away right mm -hmm. there's there's just no cover out here but up here like a 300 400 yard shot is not uncommon it's pretty pretty much you're lucky if you can get into 100 yards with a rifle on deer up here without being seen i mean you have to work for it like <clears throat> you can spot deer a mile and a half away from your truck oh, yeah. then you make the stock and you get in and you get like 300 yards they still have no clue you're there so that's why it's just not as personal because it's like all right i'm just gonna sit here and wait for a shot and uh, i'll check the wind okay dial in my scope da, da, da. i gotta aim here and boom and it's done I mean, it's not like that with a bow so <clears throat> the first animal that you shot was that archery or a rifle no uh, rifle for sure so yeah obviously i started hunting in idaho when i was 12 mm -hmm. legal age um and i didn't get into archery hunting until what, like 21 22 so i'd killed multiple deer um throughout my teenage years and stuff with a rifle and i killed my first elk with a rifle when i was uh 17 18 i think i was 18 um and then uh 
and then yeah, I was I was gone for a couple of years. I didn't hunt for a couple of years, and I came back and I went straight into archery hunting just because of you know throughout my teenage years, me and my my older brother, um, we would always go out during archery season, even though we never archery hunted. We would go out during archery season at night and just bugle, mm-hmm. and it's kind of how we learned how to how to call them and you know cow call and bugle and all that stuff was at night. <laughs> we'd go out there, call them in basically to our trucks, and uh, and then we'd flip a spotlight on and. and you know, videotape them. Mm-hmm. And we did that for several years. And then my brother was actually the first one to get out and got into archery hunting. And so when I got back, he'd already had like a year or two under his belt. And then I picked it up too. And, uh, and it took me a couple of years. I think it was like, it's probably my third year of archery, uh, second or third year of archery hunting before I shot a bull. So, and then it's been, you know, hit and miss ever since. Yeah. <clears throat> It took me seven years to shoot my first bull. That one right there. Yeah. But, but I don't think I. I never hunted him with a with a rifle. I might have gone out for a hunt or two with a rifle, but where I was living at the time, I would have had to take um, vacation time just to get anywhere that could I could hunt with a rifle and general with a general tag. They're just not. They're not in that neck of the the northeast Montana. Northeast Montana. They trickle through there, but there's no herds. There's nothing that just stays there. So I would have had to driven probably to the Rocky Mountains over this way just to get into some rifle elk territory. Everything that I hunted was for elk-wise was with the, with the bow. So, But I just, yeah, it's just so much more personal. And then hearing that first bugle... The nice thing about the spot that I've that I go to is that I've never gone there and not found elk. Yeah. So it's really hard to move away. Even though my success rate right now is one bull and two cows out of there in like nine years, ten years. That's not very good. You'd think that I'd have a better success rate than that, you know, for for being an elk every single year that I've hunted it. But yeah, but I mean, I like I said, I've been hunting elk since I was twelve. Yeah, and I've killed four. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I mean, that's twelve. That's twenty years of hunting. <laughs> yeah, hunt every year. You know, I was gone. A few years. No, I I know. When yeah. you put it into perspective, this it's just something that I kind of I I'll get hard on myself because at the end of every elk hunt, it's like, what the hell did I do wrong? Yeah. Why did I fuck up a forty yard shot? Cause I've shot it, <clears throat> I've I've shot and missed completely down there, on, mm-hmm. um, I think two two bulls I've shot at and missed completely. Um, one was at I think like twenty yards, but I thought it, it was it was a very weird angle of a shot. I was shooting off my butt on top of a knob of a hill, aiming downhill. So as he was coming up the side of the hill. From my angle, I see his antlers, then his head, then his his um, spine. So I don't see any. I don't see his legs. I don't see his belly. And I'm shooting down, and I thought the range was 30. He had, he was actually closer. So I just shot right over his back because I was just I was elevated and I didn't have the full body to look at. I had basically the upper quarter of his vitals. Arrow went right over top of him, and the other one was just a total miss it was just a shouldn't have taken the shot because i ranged them at like 50 and then 
he stopped, he turned away from me, walked a couple more feet, turned again, and I just assumed he was like 55. Well, they're big, and they take big steps, so he was like 63, 64. Yeah. <laughs> and I just shot right underneath him. But, um, yeah, no, it's hard, to, it's hard to leave elk to find elk. So, and I think you were telling me this year, like, oh, I, I need to find a new spot. And you said, don't do it. Why would you, you know they're there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. But at the same time, like, it sounds like I've never been to the terrain that you hunt, but it sounds like it's, it's real open. It's just very scattered timber. Yeah. It's a lot of broken country, like that bad land kind of country with scattered timber. Mm-hmm. And the timber is not... Th- there are some spots, those north-facing slopes, there are some areas that have thick timber, mm-hmm. but it's the only thick timber in a 20-mile ra- radius. Yeah. So everybody goes to that thick timber in the afternoon to try to find them. See, in that open, that open openness is not what I'm used to. Like, when I look at a place to hunt, I, of course, I grew up in northern Idaho. You know, everything's thick timber over there. It's super thick underbrush. I could yeah. walk through in a lot of places, but... Even around here, when I look at places to elk hunt, I'm always looking at, okay, where's the big patches of timber? You know, the north slopes. Where's, you know, where's, where's, are the places that's far enough away from everybody where the elk are going to feel safe? You know, where they're going to have their their bedding area where they know they're not going to be, you know, bumped around by people and predators and all that stuff. And, and I'm always looking for those thicker areas. You know, not saying that those open areas are unproductive. People kill elk out there every year. You know? Yeah. Especially down south, like New Mexico, you know, there's, I know a lot of those guys hunt some of that open. Yeah, that sagebrush country. Yeah. yeah. But for me, I, I'm just not used to it. I don't really like it. I kind of like the, I like the thick stuff. I like not being able to see the bull or see the elk until I'm within shooting range. And that's just how I've grown up hunting and that's what I'm used to, I guess. So yeah. I feel comfortable with it. Yeah, it's, I've never had that close encounter, like, <clears throat> not close encounter. I've never had that environment or terrain where you know you're gonna see that like you know they're there because you're right next to them when you finally see them uh i've spotted elk miles away in the breaks the hard part is like okay well how am i supposed to get there i hunted with a guy that it was like if he saw elk he's going doesn't matter how far it is he's gone i'm like I'm not going to do that. That elk is six miles away. Straight shot. He's in the next hunting district, bro. Like, (laughs) have fun. Call me when you need to get picked up. And, oh, that was, I mean, I'm not not shy to put miles on my feet. This guy, he, and I'm not going to say any names. He's a a good guy. But it was pretty much if he saw saw an elk, he grabbed his bag, he stood up, and he's gone. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do you have a game plan? There's no game plan. It's there's elk. I'm going that way. Yeah, now he is successful. Oh my god, <laughs> that's true. But he's he's successful. He hunts in the same area as I am. He's shot more elk out of there than I have. Um, he's very consistent. But the day, that time I did uh, I, the the elk that we had spotted this one specific time, they were at least two miles away. Straight shot. And I know the, ter- the terrain because I've hunted it so many years. I know it's going to take us half a day to get there. There's no straight shot there. You have to go around all those little inlets. Okay, You have to go up and over um, a couple of these pretty steep buttes going through the timber. 
And I'm like, man, there's elk in here. Well, I know there's elk in here. We heard them this morning. Yeah, you see those two elk, or not two elk. You see them two miles away over there. There's a little herd. It's probably like a dozen or so. It's like, but we know there's some in here. They're just bedded up somewhere. Nope, that's where they're at. We're going that way. We stand up, and I shit you not, it, we probably didn't even go a quarter mile, and we, we blew out a herd of probably like 15. And uh, like he just grabbed his pack. He just kept going. I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be hunting together uh, very often. I mean, we've, we've done something similar too with hunting a lot of these big mountains in North Idaho or even in Montana where walk the ridge tops, just bugling, you know, and you hear a bugle that sounds like several miles away and it's probably 200 feet of elevation dropped to get down to them. There's down in this nasty hole, you know? And yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, he's bugling. So <laughs> I guess we'll drop down in there, you know, and you drop down in there, it takes you three hours to hike in, into them and then you get down there and they, they never make another peep, you know, and you just, yeah. you're like, all right, I guess we'll walk back up. <laughs> you know, I've done that so many times, but it's, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, well, there's an elk there, so we're going to go out go that way. You know, like, oh, there's nothing over here. There's nothing's talking or we're not seeing anything, so mm-hmm. we're going to go to where the elk are. Yeah. Hopefully all the pieces come together and you can make it work, but nine times out of ten, it kind of doesn't work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep moving and find the one that, that's willing to to play with it. So. Yeah, that's that is tough. Have you ever uh gone after another hunter that was bugling? Yeah. You ever <laughs> yeah, <been> there. <laughs> There's a big old bull over there, let's go get him and then you get down there and it's another guy with the bugle tube. Yeah, it's happened before and I feel like I've gotten better at it and I've gotten to the point now where I'm more hesitant. Yeah. Like, gosh, is that a bull? And I think there's been several times now where I'm like, no, that's a human. And then I find out later, it's like, oh, shoot, that wasn't out. Yeah. Yeah, they go, oh, man, that was the shittiest sound. Bro, you better go practice because that was a shitty sounding bugle. I've done that, yeah. (laughs) You know, elk aren't perfect either. I mean, their bugles sound like crap sometimes. Yeah. The uh, One of the, I think it was probably, it was probably my first year, maybe second, down in the breaks, ever archery hunting elk. So first or second year. Went down with my friends, and I had practiced all summer long with that bugle tube. My buddy Dan's going, dude, that sounds like shit. You're going to scare all the elk out of there. Don't even bring it. I'm like, no, I think I'm pretty good. Like, I've got a musician's ear. I know what's in tune and out of tune, and this thing sounds pretty much spot on. I mean, I was recording it on my phone and playing. I was listening to um, YouTube videos on the car, like, throughout the day and practicing. And he's like, nah, man, this sounds like shit. First morning we get out there, I grab it and he's and he's just looking at me. He's like, "Oh, dude, you're gonna scare everything out of here." I'm like, "Fuck you! Watch this!" Throw up this locator bugle, and three or four bu- bulls are bugling back at me, right within like a half mile of us. And he just looked at me. He's like, "All right, I'm sorry." <laughs> and so we split. So then we split up, and me and my one friend go one way, and him and another guy go the other. I end up bugling with another bull. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is working. I don't know what I'm doing. I have, n- I don't have a clue. First or second year ever hunting for elk with a bow? I don't have a freaking clue. So I'm like, I guess I just got to keep bugling with this bull and he'll come in closer to me or I have to move in. I don't know. So I'm sitting there bugling back and forth and he's getting mad. Like you can tell his, he's getting way more aggressive. And 
I look to my right, and a couple hundred yards away, I see two other dudes hunting. I'm like, fuck. I've just wasted like 30 minutes bugling back and forth with another hunter. And they're looking at us, and we're looking at them. And he, he raises his arms up like, what the hell, man? Like, I'm like, why is he mad at me? Like, what? All right. Well, obviously, this this was all for nothing. I'm going to go talk to this dude, find out where he's going from here so we're not stepping on each other's toes. And he starts doing like the hold up, hold up, don't move sign. And I'm like, I, I'm thinking this whole time I just was bugling with another hunter. And as I'm walking towards him, <clears throat> I look up the hill. And sure enough, this bull is routing up his cows and taking off. I'm like, wait, it was a bull? Who is this guy over here? Like, this guy just showed up because he heard the commotion. I go over there. It's my buddy Dan and my buddy Wesley. They had circled around and they heard all the commotion thinking it was a different herd when it's just me and this other bull and they came up thinking and and they're watching the whole thing play where i guess this bull was getting real aggressive coming in they could see him coming in towards my location and then that's when i was like oh it's another hunter and i stand up and when i stood up he he rounded up his cows and i never saw him from where i was at but yeah like other hunters kind of just you think like ah that's definitely a hunter and it's not it's a bull or vice versa so the um yeah no it's always fun down in in the elk woods especially when you have pressure Mm -hmm. the the area that you hunted this year for elk that was a draw tag right yeah okay that was honestly that's the first year i've never done draws i've always hunted over the counter Mm -hmm. and this is the first year i've ever even put in for draws and both my my bull and my buck were both yeah draw tags that's awesome which i'm sure contributed to my success too um but yeah so that that tag was uh it was kind of a weird one it it was the first time that they opened up an archery only season for that area Mm -hmm. and i guess they they screwed up the system somehow basically everybody that put in for it got it (laughs) yeah i did hear about that but i think that happened with a couple different uh yeah, regions, right? State, yeah. Pretty much. But, so there was, I don't know, not way more people than there should have been, but there was, there was still quite a few people in there. Um, we got down there the very first week, which was nice because there was hardly anybody in there. Yeah. And for good reason, too. I mean, opening day, the town just down at the bottom of the hill hit like 102 degrees mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, it was so stinking hot. Yeah. We, that first morning, we were hiking around and we got into some elk in that, that morning. There's five little bulls hanging out with each other out there in the little meadow just fighting and bugling. They didn't care about us. They didn't care about our calls, but they were, it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. They're out there doing their thing. But about midday, we were trying to hike up this draw, and it, we just, it was so stinking hot. We tried getting under a tree down by a creek, and we were just pouring in sweat all day long. Went through, like, all of our water, you know, twice as fast as we expected to, and yeah. it was pretty miserable. Luckily, after a couple of days, it, it finally started to cool off a little bit. But, um, so, you know, hunting that heat sucks, but it was nice because there wasn't anybody out there. Like, I felt like we pretty much had the place to ourselves. Yeah. No, that, that'll that keep people out. And the first week. Everyone loves going in the rut for, the second or third for obvious reasons. But <clears throat> you have to compete mm-hmm. that third week of September. Because everybody else is out there. I, You know what I noticed is like first week, obviously not in your situation, but 
the spots that I go, it's like the first week, the opening weekend is usually pretty busy. Then it dies off until the third week of September. Because I've hunted now, This just when I went this last fall, I hunted the second week, and there was hardly anybody there. Yeah. The year prior, I've never seen more people out there, and I went uh, third week. So, so me personally, like I, I just hate hunting around people. Yeah. Even if, even if there's a lot of animals, like I just hate hunting. I, I don't like having to decipher is that a bull or is that a person. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? So even when I when I am hunting it during the rut, I'm still trying to get, figure out an area where nobody else is at. Try to try to find a place where I'm alone. You know, which is pretty much impossible these days. Cause yeah. People are everywhere. So. Uh, <clears throat> but. That uh, yeah that that early season was good because we didn't I think we saw maybe one or two people out there and then like the second week or as we were pulling out which was like the second weekend there was like ten people pulling in pretty much yeah um, the problem though is is hunting that second and third week is the elk and stuff start getting pressured and so and around here you know in Montana we're hunting like these small sections of, of public land. And as soon as they start getting pressured, they all start pushing on to private. And so, you know, you're kind of screwed at that point. Mm-hmm. You're private, you're just hoping that they cross the fence onto public again. You know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a gamble that way. So and you can still find some elk up there that are up in the public. But we went back um, to our area. Like when we were down there, most of the elk were still up on public. Mm-hmm. And then we went back a week later, a week and a half later, and they were all on private. All the elk were private, and we ran into like four or five hunters down there, and they were literally hunting the fence line. <laughs> yeah, hoping that an, an elk would step across. Yeah, make that one fatal mistake. I was like, man, that's not fun. Like, I don't, I don't like that kind of hunting. So, I don't know if, if I were to go back in that area, I don't know if I'd if I'd want to hunt the rut because just because how many people hunt it. So, so when, how many hunts had you gone through before you shot your bull? I was thinking that you had shot your bull on like your second day. So I think it was the fourth day. Okay. Um, I believe, yeah, I believe it was day four. The, so that you went back the second time and it was... Yeah, so so we were down there for, we had like 11 days of hunting. Mm. So we're, And starting, we got down there the day before opening morning. So we actually went out the day the day before and checked out one area. We threw out some bugles. We did actually locate a bugle. And so we knew there was an elk there, so we're like, all right, well, tomorrow morning, I guess we'll go here, right? Instead of the spot that we were actually planning to, because, again, why <laughs> why leave elk when, yeah. when you know that they're there? So um, so we went back there opening morning. Those elk just weren't interested. They're all kind of smaller bulls, but they just, they weren't interested in our bugles at all. You throw out a cow call or something, and they, they look up at you, and they just go back to eating, and they just didn't care. Not ready for it. Not ready at all. So we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll move on and see if we can find some other elk. And the next two days, we basically just spent, you know, moving into different areas and doing a lot of glassing, and we glassed up a ton of elk in those those next couple of days, mm-hmm. and we were able to kind of locate the herds and figure out kind of where they were going. And so by day four, you know, we knew that, okay, these elk were all moving into this certain drainage, and we know that they are going to be up in there. We, I mean, I was glassing, I think I counted like 12 bulls or something like that, they were all kind of in this general area. So we're like, all right, well, the next morning we'll, <laughs> we'll get up. And we knew it was going to be cold, too. Like, it was the first morning we had a little bit of frost, I think, even. So it was kind of the first chilly morning we had. And uh, so we got up in there. You know, we knew we wanted to get up into that drainage. 
um, about an hour before daylight. And it was like a four mile, you know, single track ride on the dirt bikes to get up in there and then about a mile and a half hike to get up to where the elk were. And so, you know, we were leaving at like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, got up in there and, and luckily by the time we got there, the elk were, my bull actually, the one I shot was already bugling. And so we just shut up because we, we knew it was way too early. So we just sat there on the hillside, just listening. And every once in a while he'd pipe off and we'd hear a couple other bugles up the hill and, and, uh, and he just every, I don't know, maybe every 10 minutes or something, he'd let off a bugle or two. About the time it started getting light, we moved down in there and we just snuck in real quiet, just didn't make any sound and uh, got within probably 100 yards underneath him. And my buddy Josh, who I was hunting with, he just stayed back probably 60 yards, 80 yards behind me. And he threw out like one cow call <laughs> and how bull just immediately answered back. And he was like, you know, loud, like it was the loudest bugle we'd, we'd heard him. Uh, let out all morning so when you say you got with you went down to about a hundred yards from where he should have been you're just basing that off of where you last heard that bugle you assumed he had bedded down somewhere in there or uh, so was we, still i mean we were we were probably only two or three hundred yards from him when we sat down and we we're waiting for it to get light we were probably only two or three hundred yards from mm-hmm. him and we could kind of tell he was up on this little ridge and every bugle he let out he never moved like he was kind of up on he had and come to find out later it's like this little knob that he had, and it was all tore up. He had a bunch of rubs up there, so gotcha. it was his little home, right? Yeah. And uh, he never really left it, and he just kept viewing in the same spot. So that allowed us to kind of move in without him hearing us or without us bugling and letting him know that we were there at all. We just snuck in there, and he threw out, like, one or two little cow calls. He bugled right back. We waited probably five minutes or something. He threw out, like, two more cow calls, and he came walking right in. I mean, it was so fast by the time we actually got set up yeah it was probably 10 minutes 15 minutes and he came walking right in how far was your shot uh probably i had 20 maybe or less damn i mean and I, I, it happened so fast i wasn't even ready like i set up and i'm sitting there like it was it was still it was light enough but just barely yeah it was still a little bit difficult to see my or i could see my pins fine but to like be able to center my pin and my peat and stuff was was a little bit difficult but um and we were kind of down in the timber too which which caused some of that you know but, but yeah i mean I, I saw him coming through the timber i was like oh my gosh he's already coming like this is super fast and he, just, he never even stopped he just came walking up until he got right like 20 yards because i was set up in a little clearing and right when he got to the clearing he stopped you know luckily look i didn't have to make a peep he just stopped on his yeah it just came together perfectly yeah, and it's just one of those things where, like, you know, we, we made a couple pushes on bulls before that, like the, the days prior, and, you know, the wind wasn't right or they just weren't talking right, and so we, we never really tried to push the issue too hard. Yep. Um, and we didn't want to blow them out of there, right? So there's a couple times where we got in there and we're like, oh, man, we just can't get the wind right. It's either swirling or it's pushing up to them, and like, it's, like we just got to back out because we're just going to blow this whole thing up, you know? And uh, this one just happened to work out just right. Wind was coming down, and he was, that was like the only bowl that actually came to us. All the other ones that we'd be able to, like, they look at us and they just keep doing their thing and they never even cared. So, like I said earlier, just moving on until you find that one bowl that's ready to, to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one happened to be it. It's just so frustrating when, even if with, a, like, say you have a decoy, plenty of cover. The wind's perfect. 
you have a straight line of sight to a couple like this happened to me numerous times the elk are there you can see them you throw up a decoy you have cow calls wind's great and they just look at you and they're like meh not interested <laughs> and, that, and after after i shot mine we spent a day or two packing out and took a break and then we went back because josh still had a tag and the rest of the next four days, it was kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just getting close to them. They, they hear us. They see us. They just never really cared. Right? And even when we went back like a week and a half later, got into plenty of elk, but we just couldn't get anything to to move in close enough. I mean, we had a bull come in from like probably half a mile away, and he came all the way in. The closest I think we got was like 80 yards mm-hmm. or something like that. But he just wouldn't close the rest of the distance. And we didn't have, there's nothing in between us. So we couldn't get closer to him. And he didn't want to come closer to us because he couldn't see nothing or smell something. Like something was off, right? And he knew it. And he, that bull was even, he's a nice bull, five by six. And uh, he was out in the middle of an open hillside. And at one point he was like raking the ground. He even like dug himself out of a little bed on the hillside and laid down for like 20 minutes. And we we're just like, I don't know what we were supposed to do like i tried everything i could do, yeah you know i tried backing up i tried going way over the hillside and and uh, he just he just wouldn't close that gap you know because he knew that hey i can't see an elk i know that the sound is right there 80 100 yards from me but i can't see him so he just he knew something was up and he just held his ground there mm-hmm. and we had a couple other bulls that we got close to and just couldn't quite either either it was too thick or we couldn't get close enough for a shot so that's archery on there yeah everything has to there's so many pieces that have to come together just right in order for it to to yeah and and it's never the same sequence Mm -hmm. you know there's guys that say you should call like you said you didn't you stopped calling because you knew he was there and you threw out you know you don't need to throw out any bugles because he's you know he's there so you have that locator so you switch to cow calls to draw him in I have guys that say, no, you should bugle so that he thinks it's a challenge and then you get the big bull to come in and, man, who knows? Like, <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. For me, most of the time, nothing works at all. They just look and they go, shut up. <laughs> and, and there's plenty of guys out there that, that know how to read those elk really well. Yeah. And they know exactly what they need, whether they need, you know, to bugle aggressively, whether they just need cow calls, whether they need, you know, soft bugles, whatever, like, some guys can read that really well, and I'm, I'm still working on that. That's, that's a struggle. And then, depending on where these elk are in the state, they act differently. Because the elk that are in the mountains act differently than the elk that are in the breaks. The way you have to call. My buddy says he calls completely different in the mountains when he goes and hunts over there in the front range than in the breaks. So it's like a night and day difference. Well, and there's a big difference that you know I learned a lot this year for hunting that early season. You know, I killed a bull back, I don't know when it was, 20, I think it was 2012 or something like that, 2011. And that was like September 5th. That was an early season bull. Um, but he was pretty fired up. Like he was the only bull that we found bugle. And we hunted like three days and he was the first bugle we even heard. And we we got him fired up, but it took us three hours. Like I was within 100 yards of him for about three hours before he mm-hmm. finally decided to make a move, and he came into 40 yards, I think. Um, but this year is the first year since then that I've even hunted the early season. I've always hunted the, the rut, you know, that second or third week. And so I'm more used to 
the bull's just being fired up and you can be more aggressive. Yeah. You know, you go up in there, the bull bugles, you just let out a bugle right back at him, kind of, you know, trying to piss him off and try to get him to come in. And, and that works, you know, a lot. Like, we've had a lot of encounters doing that. But in the early season, <laughs> it doesn't work. It, doesn't, it just pushes them away. Yeah. Like, they don't want, they want nothing to do with you. And so that was something that, that I struggled with this year was, was just calming down. Like, I don't have to throw out bugles. You know, cow calls were obviously more effective. And, uh, but I, it's just in me to like, oh, there's a bull out there. Like I'm gonna bugle back to him. Like we're, we're gonna get him fired up, you know? And I think we only got, we really only got like one bull. And we saw a lot of elk this year, but we really only one, maybe two bulls that really got fired up. And they were bugling and grunting and snarling and, and just, they were rutting, you know? Yeah. All the other, bull, other bulls just didn't care. They just wanted to, they were doing their thing. They were fighting with each other, doing their rubs. You know, they weren't even looking for cows yet. They were just kind of, they were all bachelored up still. So it was a, yeah, it was a learning experience for sure. Just learning to calm down, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, do more stealth hunts, sneak in there, maybe call up, throw out a couple cow calls, something like that, you know, and that's what I need to do better if I, if I do hunt the early season. Yeah. I let's say that every year, like, oh, maybe I'm either going to do more calling or less calling. I really don't, I don't call a lot. I start calling more when I get desperate when it's like coming down the last couple of days and it's like I got to do something different because yeah I mean I down in the breaks you spot these elk from a couple of miles away you work, work your way in you try to cut them off to wherever they're going um, a lot of the times they don't respond to those calls anyways a couple of them have most of the time most of my close encounters have either been because I cut them off or I snuck into their bed or they just snuck up on me I had, a, I had a herd of elk sneak up on me. I guess it wasn't a sneak. I was just glassing. It's like mid-afternoon one day, and um, I'm just sitting under a tree. It's got to be like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's hot. It's like 90 degrees, and I just heard this noise, which sounded like uh, really large wings above my head. I thought there was like an eagle or something coming down on top of my head because it was just like a... And I was like, what the... And I look up, and I'm like, there's nothing there. And right off to my right side, six cows and a bull elk came cruising up this, this coulee right to my spot, like 30 yards from me, full speed. Something, I think it was another hunter that spooked them out from their bed down below me. I never knew they were there. But it's like, and that's the one that I, that I shot and missed because he stopped at 50, turned, walked further away, and then turned again, and he was a lot further than I thought. But, I mean, I had hardly had time to set up for that. You know, they just happened to c- cross in front of me. And I've had it a couple times where they just, like, show up in front of you, and you're not even ready. I had my bow on a sling one time as I'm walking into the breaks where I'm like, "There's, I've never seen elk out here before. Sling the bow, and, oh, here's a bull, 40 yards, just walking right over the ridge and in and out of my life forever. <laughs> Not a chance to take my bow out of a sling and put an arrow in it. Not a chance. But you know, I mean, the thing is, though, is you would never even have those encounters if you weren't out there actively trying, right? Yeah. Like you know, I know some people who go out there, they'll hunt a couple hours in the morning, and they're just like, ah, didn't see nothing. They go back to camp. You know. I used to be that way because that's everything about elk hunting. I've pretty much had to learn by myself and with just a couple other mentors like a couple guys that I'd go out with that might have a little bit more experience than me but a lot of the stuff I just kind of 
did my own research and figured it out as I went. But yeah, the first couple of years, I think I would always be like, no one ever, they say, don't hunt the afternoons. It's not worth it. So I'd hunt the morning up until like 10 o'clock when they're all bedded up and they stop talking, go back for lunch or a nap or whatever, and come back and hunt the last couple hours. And then at some point I was like, why don't I just try to kill one in its bed then? Why am I wasting half my day back at camp? I'll take a nap under a tree if I need it. I'll bring my lunch. So now like the last few years, I stay out all day. Everything that I need, water, food, whatever it might be, I'm out there from sunrise to sunset because it's two-mile hike just to get in to where you actually start getting into elk, So for the most part. Um, they actually seem to be getting closer and closer to this trailhead as the years go on. Um, I think I mentioned it on the, like, a couple podcasts ago where on my last day hunting elk, for archery season this year as i'm walking back to my truck like i i've hung up the towel at this point i'm walking back to the truck and i find these three elk moving in the direction of my camp and i'm like there's never elk out here there's three bulls now walking straight to camp i'm parallel i'm like railroading them going straight straight to my truck i can see my truck i'm like how do they not why are they still going that way I dropped down. I tried to cut them off. Um, tried some cow calls, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't call. They wouldn't come into the calls. So they didn't care. Um, they went into the timber, so I ran into the timber, got in there. And I'm like, I know that they were right here. This is the last spot I saw them. Now where they go? Because pretty much beyond this section of timber, it's all sage flat. And I kind of just like turned around, looked around a little bit, and I heard a little twig break. And they're 50 yards from where I was, three of them. And they stand up because they saw me, and they bust out of there. But I never would have had a shot. They were so they were in some junipers. They were so covered up in juniper, like there was no shot. But they, I watched one of them run right in front of my truck. I'm like, God damn it. Like, that would have been so nice to, to have a haul, to pack something out that, that is that close. Like a quarter mile straight shot? Oh, man. Yeah, definitely never had that luxury. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so... Now, that, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you... Uh, I was pretty pumped when you got... When you got... You sent me a picture of it, like, the day after, or maybe the day of. Yeah, we came in the day after. We came into town to bring it to the butcher and stuff. And yeah. Started sending stuff out, but... I had some hope, because I don't think I had gone yet. I was either just getting there, or... I hadn't gone yet, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get down there. I'm going to shoot one. Kevin's shooting them. I'm going to shoot one. My other friends are all shooting them. Like, it's going to be a good year. And, I mean, I I can't say that my my year was a failure because I got within elk. I mean, I was in elk almost every day, but it's just uh, it was just a whole bunch of what can go wrong did go wrong for me. It was still fun. I it was probably the best, probably the best elk hunting that I've like to actually be inside of the herd and bugles and cow calls everywhere. It was it was nuts, but I just couldn't put it together. Yeah, but, as long as you're getting into elk and seeing stuff, I mean, it keeps you busy and keeps you entertained, you know. And, yeah, I just you know I keep saying I want to change locations mainly so I can be closer. Because it still takes me almost five hours to get there. So I really get limited to going just uh, on my vacation time. I can't just go on the weekend. I tried it this year. 
Spent five hours. I drove right after work one day, hunted for a day and a half, and had to come back. It's just, it's not feasible. It's doesn't. It's not practical. Like, yeah, it's driving and oh god, and they weren't fun in the fall. So, I say I want to try something more local, and then maybe try to get into something that has some more timber and cover, just to kind of get the feel for what do I like more. But yeah, it's really hard to be like. I saw 50 elk down there this last season. I'm not going to go back. Yeah. And I see them down there every season. And the downfall of hunting the timber areas, though, usually comes the mountains, too. And so, you know, the elevation climbs and drops is ridiculous. Does this look like the kind of physique that's afraid of climbing mountains? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, mean, I prefer the flats. It is so, it's brutal, though. I mean, when you try to get into the area and yeah you only have to go three miles but you got to climb 1800 feet over yeah you know, like it changes the game because you just can't just hike in there quickly it's, it's a slow going and then once you get up in there or if you drop it down you gotta realize you gotta pack something out of this hole and you know packing an elk up 1800 feet elevation it's no <laughs> i had a small i i had a small taste of of hunting in the mountains when i took my brother for his cow elk and we were hunting a very small section of state and BLM that butted up next to each other. I don't think it was more than a mile and a half from the road to the back, like straight shot. Mm-hmm. But holy cow, it took us over an hour just to get up because it was such a steep incline. There's so much elevation gain in that amount of space. And then, of course, where he shot it was above and beyond and below the ridge. So we went all the way up and then came all the way down the other side. And she shot it down in this little bowl. Yeah, we had to go up and down, and even going down because the road was, or not the road, the um, the slope was so steep, like it was almost harder going down with that much weight on your back. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit! It's hard and it was snowing. Yeah, it was slippery. Yeah, so we, we looked out with mine because it, it was a it was an easy pack out to the dirt bikes because we took our dirt bikes in this year yeah and uh about a mile and a half probably to the dirt bikes but it was all just a gradual downhill like yeah we had to go up and down some little little draws here and there but mm-hmm. it was pretty easy pack out trails most of the way um to be honest the riding the bikes back to camp was by far the hardest part because <laughs> right when we got back to the bikes we had to go about two miles and it was all uphill at that point and a couple spots were pretty steep you know we're we're driving on this little trail that's no bigger than a game trail. And then all that weight on the back kind of like moving around yeah, uncontrollably. Moving around is pulling you back is the hard thing too because you're trying to go uphill. Oh, shit. And if you're, if you're leaning back, like some of the stuff is steep enough that you're going to ride a wheelie if you, you know, if you lean back too far. So you're literally having to hold all your weight plus the weight of the pack up, you know. And so I, I'm not kidding. Within the first like five minutes, my forearms were just blowing up. You're a pretty crafty guy though. Like can't, you can probably set up some type of wagon some type of trailer meat meat trailer on a dirt bike though like yeah couldn't you uh, i've I se- okay because i've seen well it, it kind of like um like when you take the kids for a bike ride in the little tiny like trailer you know something like something set up like that i feel like i've seen guys on e-bikes and stuff hauling little tiny meat trailers or oh yeah but these i mean we're we're on single tracks, like literally we're riding. Okay, so there's no space for that. No, I mean you're huh. like uh, you're basically riding like on game trails. You know, maybe a little bit wider than a game trail, but it's pretty much a game trail. And you're side hill, and you're going up and down. You know, climbing rocks and yeah. roots and all hmm. that stuff. I mean, 
we're squeezing through trees that aren't even wide enough to fit a little bicycle trailer you know what i mean like, yeah yeah that makes sense trailer but it uh yeah going up was pretty hard going back down was a little bit easier because i you know my my pack frame has like the metal um shelf or whatever mm -hmm. on the bottom yeah so i could like lean back and just rest the pack on the seat of the motorcycle and just kind of cruise down yeah but it, you know i'm kind of riding the dirt bike like a harley just kind of laying back which is kind of awkward but um so yeah we had to and we had to make two trips so we, had to, we shot it right in, you know basically daylight cut it all up packed packed half it down to the dirt bikes rode it all the way back to camp and then came back in for for a second trip and so we had to ride four miles back up in there up the trails and it probably takes a good hour to, to ride that, that four miles yeah and, uh, Just go on, get. We've been interrupted by the dog. Go on. We didn't get back with the second load till pretty much right at dark, or just after dark. It was like 6 p.m. No, it was before dark, but yeah, it was like 6 p.m. or something. And so it was it was an all day task, even with the bikes. <laughs> yeah, I you know that sounds fun, but I've wrecked every motorcycle I've ever tried getting on, and yeah, it's not worth it to me. <laughs> I thought about taking the <clears throat> the mountain bike. Go on. Get out of here, dog. I thought about taking um, the mountain bikes into the brakes because for a while there you weren't allowed to. And then eventually they kind of eased out on the rules and they let you take bicycles in there. But, man, I think I tried it. I did try it one year just with like a heavy pack of just my gear for the day. I was like, God damn, this is not much easier. I'm actually more tired, yeah. you know. Well, it's different. You know, it's different muscles than just hiking. Oh, it was bear hunting is where I brought my bike. Yeah, and so you're in more steep country. And then I was thinking, like, maybe it would help in the brakes, but no, it's just... Yeah, I've packed a couple elk out on, on bicycles before, and it, it does help a ton. And a lot, of, a lot of those areas that we're hunting is, like, you know, we're hiking up, up on top. You know, it takes us three miles to get up on top to where we wanted to hunt. And so we would, like, basically push our bicycles up or ride at some you know spots we can, but then steep stuff we'll just push them up. So it's kind of a pain to get them up there, but man, coming down was <laughs> such a blessing to have those bikes because yeah. you get down to the hill in like ten minutes basically. You know, in those three miles, you're just flying down those hills, and it saves your knees because, like I said, going downhill with the big packs on kind of beats up your knees pretty hard. So and it was a it was a snowmobile that you used for your buck, right? Yeah. To get in. Yeah. To that area so yeah we drove in most of it and we actually could have from where we parked the trucks we actually could have hiked in too it was part from where we parked the truck to where we actually parked the snowmobiles it's about the same distance really to where i shot the buck we didn't know that obviously but um, it was nice it was a lot of a lot of deep snow there was some local guys in there that were all chained up in their suburban and they kind of busted the trail out for us yeah and so we were able to drive the truck in there a little ways um offload the sleds rode about probably what three or four miles further back in there and right when we parked the snowmobiles we started seeing deer in fact we, we i don't know if it was the one i shot or not but it probably was um we saw some deer up on the hill right as soon as we parked the sleds and so and, you know I, I had planned like a two and a half day hunt and within four hours of that first evening i, I shot that buck yeah <laughs> it was done you know just that quick I wasn't expecting it to be that quick or or even that easy. I was expecting to get further back up there into the hills before we actually started seeing them. But, again, the fact that nobody was in there, mm -hmm. you know, the deer were right there. I and mean, we saw a couple herds of deer 
you know, crossing the road in front of us on the snowmobiles with some smaller bucks and stuff. So that was that was pretty nice. Yeah, and there's there's some decent, pretty decent deer up in there. They can really tuck away. That's hard country to hunt. Yeah, At cool. least, it, I mean, I've hiked in it once or twice. I've never hunted it, but I can. I'm thinking like, man, that would be a hell of a day just hiking up and down this kind of stuff. I don't know how Adam does it voluntarily like every day i guess he camps in there once he gets in kind of high he kind of sets up camp and yeah. stays that's kind of the way you do it because what i had planned to get further up in there was i want to say it was three miles and i think it was yeah 16 to 1800 feet of elevation i think and it's steep i mean it's not like gradual elevation it's you hike in there about a mile and then the next mile and a half or two miles is like basically straight up yeah steep stuff and that's where I was expecting to go. Luckily, we found them before I had to go up and over that, that next hill. The picture you sent me, and you guys can see it on Instagram, It's uh, it looks steep where you took the picture. Like it does – almost like you could just slide that thing down the mountainside to get it to – When we were sitting there cleaning them out, we had to like – I mean, luckily there's you know probably two feet of snow on the side of the hill. But we had to basically like pack a little flat spot oh. because every time we touched him or tried to move him, he just kept trying to slide and slide. So we had to like make ourselves a little flat area to work yeah. so he wouldn't slide. Um, in fact, even when I shot him, he he you know turned around. He kind of ran downhill a little bit and then he collapsed. But didn't even then, just by kicking, he probably went another I don't know eighty hundred yards almost just by sliding. And how far was your how far was the shot that you made on him? Two hundred. So we we. We spotted some deer. Um, I don't know. They're way up the draw. They're further than I could tell with the spotting scope. Like I could tell there were bucks, but you know, I don't have a very good spotting scope. But <laughs> I could tell there were bucks, but we, we were too far away. So we're like, well, let's hike up in there. We had to hike about another mile probably to get up to this next little ridge to where we could start glassing. And we started glassing. We started seeing you know bucks pop up. You know, once it started getting later in the day, they started coming out of their beds. And, and we're moving again. Saw a couple of decent bucks that I may or may not have shot on, you know, day two or three, but I didn't want to shoot them that night. Mm-hmm. And then we look up on our side of the, of the drainage and we were watching this doe and a couple other bucks. And then all of a sudden my buck popped up and started kind of chasing those does and stuff a little bit. So when you saw him, you were just like, all right, I'm shooting that one. Oh, so I, I looked at him first, and, and then binos, and at this point, I think he was like 450 yards, and I binoed him, and then I got the spotting scope on him, and I, I looked at him for probably a couple minutes, and I was still debating, like, man, it's really early into the hunt, like, if we're seeing this many bucks already, like, yeah. maybe I should hold out for a bigger one, and then I, I just finally made a decision, like, nah, I, I can't be that greedy, Yeah, <laughs> like, we gotta shoot this one. See, I've, I've never really looked for size, like, I'm... As long as they, like, you can see most of what I've shot is in here. They're all pretty much, like, 4 by 4 frames. Yeah. You know, it's like, once I see that 4 by 4 frame, I don't care. I They don't have to be... The the big one, I thought, was just a standard, like, standard 4 by 4 Because I, I couldn't really tell from how far away I was initially when I saw them. And then by the time I got close enough for a shot, I just... I just knew it was a buck. I didn't know which one or how big it was. I just it all happened so quickly once I got into distance where I wasn't even paying attention. But it's like, yeah, you see a four by four, and for me, it's like, no, it's, it's I'm gonna shoot it. I don't 
need anything special. See, my standards this year were, were not that high. Like, I'd only killed a couple of smaller mule deer, you know, the last two years. Mm-hmm. Both pretty small ones. So I was just like, you know, I, I, I got this good tag. I really want a mule deer that's that's got good forks. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty much my only goal. Like, yeah. four by four with, with some decent forks. I didn't care how wide he was or tall or whatever. Like, I just wanted a decent buck, you know. And, and once we got in there, I actually ended up passing on a, well, he, he was only a three by four, but he was a decent one. Like, if I hadn't seen this other buck and seen these other deer, I probably would have shot that one, you know, because he wasn't bad. You know, maybe, he may have been like the size of this, but only one size blue side was a three point, and the other fork was fairly shallow. It wasn't yeah. a fork. But it wasn't bad. Like, I never would have thought I would have passed on that thing. Mm-hmm. But I got up in there, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of deer, so I'm, I'm going to be a little more picky. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, once I saw that one, I was like, yeah, let's, let's go shoot that one. Sure. It was like 450 yards. You know, there's a little little ledge up above us. We can definitely get closer than that just to make it easier. So we snuck up in there. I got to 200 yards. Um, but it kind of worried me, actually, because as we were sneaking in there, a doe that was up above us that we didn't see, she spotted us and took off running, which luckily didn't spook any of the other deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got in there, and I, I set up, and I started watching these deer, and I was like, well, there's the doe, there's the smaller buck. I'm like, well, where the heck did this buck go? Like, oh, great he must have left and so we sat there and i was probably there for 20 minutes and we started glassing the other side of the canyon watching some other deer and, and it's like this buck's gone he's not showing up and all of a sudden i look back and there he was he's just like, appeared again he must have just been i don't know if he laid down behind a bush for a little bit or something but i just couldn't see him all of a sudden he popped up and so i pull up with the scope and, and at first i was like is that the same buck like, he, he looked smaller when i saw him in the scope for some reason and then I, I recognized, like, one of his forks was kind of pretty identifiable. So, like, oh, yeah, that's him. So I have noticed that with certain optics, like going from binoculars or spotting scope to the to the actual rifle scope, mm-hmm. where the the antlers don't look like they have either the same amount of mass or something. It just looks different. Yeah, different I don't know what that is. It might be how much light you're collecting, but yeah. I've even taken, uh, like, I'll take pictures, right? Because I usually bring my camera around when I'm scouting. And I'll take pictures of them, and I'll look at them through the binos. And the pictures look way different than what I'm seeing in the binos. You'll throw up your binos and be like, holy shit, that's a big ass. That's got to be a 170, 180 mule deer. And then you grab your, your nice camera, and you zoom in, you take a picture, and you're like, that's like a 140. Like, why did I think it was so much bigger? How is there such a difference? But usually when I shoot them, they end up being bigger. Like, you know that thing that they say you get ground shrinkage? Like, the closer you get, the smaller the antlers get. For me, it always seems like it's the opposite. Like, they are always bigger than what I thought I shot. And to me, that's I, I think that's true with the mule deer, for sure. I, I never noticed that with whitetail, but since, I, since I've been here. Um, and I think, it to me, it has to do with the size of the bodies and their ears and all that stuff that makes the antlers look really smaller. Yeah. So, same thing. Like, when I shot them in the scope, I was like... I even walked up, I was telling Josh, like, yeah, I think he might be a little bit smaller than we thought. And then we got up to him, and I was like, oh, he's actually yeah. bigger than what I originally thought. So I was pleasantly happy with <laughs> with how it, how it turned out, you know. I was like, man. Yeah, I didn't, even when I saw him in the spotting scope, I didn't think he was that, he was that big. But, the oh. buck that I shot last year was, Monty, come here. Just quit breathing in the mics. The deer I shot last year was, his body was the, it's the biggest body buck I've ever shot. His body was so big, I thought he was just a 3x4. And being like a 7x8. With all these little kickers that he has on him. Way bigger. 
I mean, like way bigger rack than I thought what it was based just because of how big his body was compared to his antlers. And you get up there and you're like, oh my God, I shot a cow. This thing's huge. It's like a cow elk. I was like, holy shit. Well, and then you go down to like, uh, you know, I was in Texas for several years and some of the deer down there were the opposite, right? Because the bodies down there are so tiny. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of, I mean, there's some, some big deer down there too that, that score really well as well. But just in general, the bodies are so small, it makes the antlers look bigger. You know, so it's kind of the, the opposite of, of what I've seen in the mule deer. Yeah, I told Josh, our friend Josh, I told Josh that uh, I want him to come on the podcast because I think it would be a nice perspective coming from him because this year was his first mule deer he's ever shot, yeah. right? Because it was everything else was just, he shot elk and he shot whitetail, right? And that's it? Yeah, he killed milk uh, two years ago and then yeah, he's killed a bunch of whitetail. Yeah, and this was the f- the first year hunting mule deer and I'm kind of curious to see that that what the contrast is between hunting the two because yeah. like for me, for me, since I've hunted out here in Montana, you can hunt either or. So it's been whitetail or mule deer. You know, I've never had to just focus on whitetail or just focus on mule deer. I'll shoot whatever's in front of me. So that'd be an interesting perspective to have. I'll have him on maybe the next podcast. So I'm seeing myself. I you know I've shot a bunch of whitetail before. I still don't want to. I have one nice whitetail, big non typical thing. I think you've seen that I got mounted in there. All my other whitetail were kind of just small. I don't really have any, <laughs> anything big, but yeah. I, I specifically like wanted to focus on mule deer since I've been here because I never, I mean, I never shot mule deer since I moved to Montana. And then the last two years, I shot these kind of smaller bucks. And then, yeah, like this year, you know, with my my elk draw and I drew some doe tags, like I was most excited about this buck tag because that's one thing I don't have is a nice mule deer. And I yeah, never shot a nice one, so. I was more excited about this deer hunt than I was my elk hunt this year. <laughs> but I thought about putting in for that extended season tag just to get away from some of that pressure. Yeah. We get so much pressure up here. And that's what pushes me to hunt mostly during archery because there's almost no archery pressure. And everyone's like, how do you even hunt them out here? Yeah. Everyone always asks, how do you hunt archery for deer out here? Everything's flat. <laughs> like It's not that flat. You get out of the truck. It's not that flat. It might look like it, but yeah. It looks <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, this year I was pretty much like, I don't want to even deal with rifle hunting this year. I'm going to shoot whatever gives me towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. which ended up being the last day that I was able to hunt is when I shot that one. But I was ready to shoot a little tiny 3x3 three three or 3x4, three tiny, like inside the years tiny. I was like, eh, this is good enough for me. A kill with a bow is like an, it's like an accomplishment. I'm... To be honest, that's my next like goal. I guess is archery, archery deer. I've, I've never killed a deer with my bow. Yeah, I've, I have wounded a couple. And <laughs> they probably <laughs> died eventually. Well, one of them I know died. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. But we've all been there. Yeah, um, I've been fortunate to never, never actually wounded an elk with my bow. But I definitely, you know, I can't say the same for deer. But yeah, I, I want to get a, a bow kill, a deer with my, you know, under my belt. So I don't know. I, was it last year? I, I drew the archery hunt down there at the river. Yeah. That I get sometimes, and uh, and that was fun. There's plenty of deer, but man, it's still really open country, and uh, I mean, you just have to sneak up on. It's them. a lot of like cottonwoods and stuff down there, down by the river. Yeah, if you can hunt down the river, and if I got the tag again, I would probably go get some tree stands or something. Yeah. Um, but trying to 
you know, I'm just not used to the whole spot and stop thing when it's open country like that. And so, yeah. you know, we made a couple pushes and I got close to some deer and never did have any shots on them, but, um, it was fun. I, I would do it again. Well, as, uh, as the season approaches next year, episode four of our podcast talks about spot and stock. Yeah, so I, you I should give that one a listen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I was listening to those for sure. Cause I know you guys have a lot more experience with that kind of stuff. I just, I just learned, learned as I went, you know, it's just kind of like, go on dog. It just kind of <clears throat> be as sneaky as possible in very uncomfortable positions and, and, forms of movement just like low crawling through cactus and sagebrush and it takes a lot more patience the other problem i have is uh i don't shoot my bone near enough yeah but you know what like you said that this year i think so kevin lives just behind me and adam lives on the other side adam lives on the other side of the street so adam and i are out there practicing our bow shooting like almost every day of the summer at least three or four days a week at minimum. And I'm always like, you should come up. Come up and shoot with us and practice. And this year you didn't practice maybe what, like once or twice. And then you go and shoot this big-ass bull elk. And I was like, God, man, what am I? Like, I'm Adam, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> we're spending too much time practicing. We need to get out there into the no, field. I, I would, I mean, I would never. No, I know. It's too much, you know. And I always kick myself because I just don't. I don't shoot enough, you know, and, and that's, but that's part of the reason why I, I limit myself to shorter shots. Yeah. Like I, I may take a 50 yard shot if it's perfect conditions, but even that, like, I don't like it. And I try to get 40 yards and less. And that's another reason why I like hunting the thick stuff because it's easier to get those closer. Yeah. Shots. And so hunting, like doing the spot and stock stuff, I'm not going to take a 70 yard shot. There's no way. I've never even shot at a target that far. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go shoot it. I've shot at targets that far, but (laughs) (laughs) Adam will shoot out to 90 or hundred sometimes. And, and he's a good shot. And I know our buddy, Nick, he shoots pretty long distances. And so they can shoot. Um, they've got those, uh, drop down sights. You, you can adjust the pin, right? that last pin or a single pin, whichever one you shoot. And Adam will shoot 100 yards, but I've got the same sight as he has. I can't shoot that far because I shoot a high FOC arrow. So my uh, my arrow drops so much at those longer distances that I cannot lower my riser enough. If I, if I dial it to 100, my riser is basically resting on my arrow. Yeah, so I can't shoot. I think 75 is about as far as I can go with those arrows. Now, if I shoot a, if I shoot a lighter arrow and re, re, um, get all brand new arrows and tune all those up, yeah, maybe. But, man, I've screwed up a 60-yard shot this year. And I shoot 60 every time I practice. I shoot 60 with the broadhead, and I still screwed it up. So it's kind of like, eh. Maybe there's a lot of time between that arrow leaving your bow and a hundred yards downrange, especially on a smaller animal like an elk or a deer. Elk, they're a bigger target, but still. And Adam's done it. Adam. I've seen elk duck, tar- duck arrows before too. Yeah. Deer will definitely do it, but you know. Yeah. So. Well, I, well, I like I said, I try to keep those shots pretty short. You know, in 2016, I, I flew up to Idaho. Um, from Texas to hunt with my brother and uh, took my bow and I, 
I I'd shot it like once or twice before that. Then we got up there like the day before we were hunting, went out and shot again, and one of my pins was screwed up. I think the other one like broke. Like we were trying to tighten it and it just snapped. Mm-hmm. So I went hunting that year with three pins, like a twenty, thirty, or forty. That's all you need. <laughs> you know, we we ended up I ended up shooting one the first day. We got lucky, got into elk right away, and and you know we got thirty yards from the bull. You know, and it's. When hunting the thick stuff, I seem like I feel like that's pretty typical to get a sixty-yard shot through the thick brush. Yeah, is pretty tough. So I could imagine. Um, so I, usually, the places I hunt, that's really all I need. But around here, I'm having to. I got to start rethinking my stuff because sixty, seventy-yard shots. If I could shoot that far, it would, it would, you know, broaden uh, the scope of what I could do. I guess out here. Yeah, and it's weird too because. 60 yards when you're out there in a flat with no nothing other than a couple sage sage bushes and or maybe just tall grass like 60 yards does not look very far 60 yards looks like 30 yards they look like they're right there and they're actually a lot further so it it kind of messes with you especially if you're used to shooting things inside timber where uh maybe it's 30 yard max is what you're going to shoot and you think how can i double that and then you get out there and you're like, oh my God, like they look a lot closer than, or they look a lot further. What is it? Yes. Yes. They're, they're a lot further than they look. So I've, I've only had this year I took, um, let's see. The buck I shot was like 50 yards. The doe I shot was 40 and the antelope was like 53 and there was no getting closer to any of those at all i mean the antelope i was in a blind so i'm stuck there but um the doe i couldn't get any closer on you just run out of cover at some point and then the buck was basically this one was i kind of ran out of cover like i i was standing up to shoot a different buck and he showed up to my left i didn't know he was there so i was i got lucky with him but yeah, you just, it's, it's fun. It's tough to do. You have to have a lot of patience and you're going to have a lot of busted stocks. You spend four hours stalking a deer and then the wind turns and they're gone. And you're like, God damn it. Why am I doing this to myself? So. I say, I, I, and then I always tell myself this every year, but I want to, especially now that I'm hunting this area, I need to get out there and at least be comfortable out to 60. That's what I, what I need to be doing really. Yeah. And that would, that would help out a lot. Well, come on up here because we shoot out to like, we can get damn near 100 up here. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not you want to shoot that far and how many arrows you want to lose, <laughs> I try to keep it to 60, maybe 70. But uh, I think I lost three arrows with broadheads. This Not lost them, but missed the target where I dinged up my broadheads or I, or I broke the arrow on impact. Wow. Yeah. Not not good. Getting a day up in north central Montana when there's no wind. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, especially up there where we shoot, it's always windy. Yeah, it helps you, but um, five ten mile an hour winds is pretty tough to shoot in. Yeah, yeah, you just gotta. I don't know. You figure that day. The day I shot my doe this year, I think I had about a fifteen to twenty mile an hour crosswind. You can watch it on because I got that film on GoPro. Um, you can watch my arrow just tail kick. It does not look like it's going to go where it has to go. It was a perfect shot, but that thing tail kicked so hard. It looks like it's just smacked the, the deer on the side of the, the arrow. 
Yeah, it was a it was windy. You just learned to learn to shoot in the wind. So now, man, I hope uh, I'm. It's December twenty seventh, and I'm already pumped for next season. So we got to get uh get the practice in. I was actually going to shoot my bow today. I wanted to. Yeah, because it's nice out. Finally, we had the last week of weather was what twenty below on average for like four days in a row. I was, oh my God. And today felt like a heat wave at 41 degrees. And I was like, oh, snow's melted. I got some time. Let me go shoot my bow. I never did it. But uh, too many other things to do. So, but um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for swinging by, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we, we tend to talk about our hunting stories at work, but only as we're passing each other by. So we don't really have time to sit down like this and break it down. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I'm super pumped you. You got that nice bull, you got that nice buck, and you had a good year, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my biggest bull to date and my biggest buck to date, so. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good year. Yeah, yeah I was super blessed for that. Yeah. But, you know, just blessed to get the, get the draw tags to begin with, right, and then have everything fall into place. And, yeah. You know, to have the help of Josh there to help me pack them all out. That's always <laughs> nice to have a, a packer. Yeah. Yeah, my brother's always been that guy come out he's not hunting at all he's just yeah. there to help pack meat up yeah, until the last couple of years but if I was there by myself it would have been miserable yeah either one of them you know because actually honestly my my buck even though it was all downhill that was probably the hardest pack I'd ever done because we had like two feet of snow and mm-hmm. the hard crust layer on top and so every time you step on it you almost get all your weight on it and you break through yeah and we we're doing that for like that's exhausting time. yeah it was like almost a mile mile and a half and, uh, and we, I think we both probably had, I don't know, 80, 90 pound packs with all of our gear and the meat. And uh, that was brutal. And we basically did stair steppers for a mile and a half. I did that yesterday, hunting coyotes. And all I was carrying was my rifle and my speaker. Like, yeah. And I was exhausted by the time I got to where I wanted to. There's oh, so much snow. The truck. I mean, we got back to snowmobiles, rode back to the trucks. I go back to the truck. I'm not kidding. Like, I was nauseous and lightheaded and just weak. We got back to our cabin that we rented to where we were staying. And I just, I crashed right away. I was like, I'm not even gonna eat dinner. <laughs> just, I gotta go to bed because I felt like crap. That was that was brutal. Yeah. And it wasn't even that far. It wasn't hot. It wasn't uphill. It was mostly downhill or flat. But just walking through that snow kicked my butt. So, yeah. I need to get some snowshoes. That's what I get. Love. Get in the gym. <laughs> get in the gym. As you can see. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> and that's that's actually the second year in a row now that I uh, I wish I had snowshoes. Yeah. That late season. Things to remember for next season. So, well, thanks, man. Um, if any, for those of you that listened, if you want to check out Kevin's uh, buck from this year, I think I posted both your buck and your bull. Uh, just go to the Instagram page, Highland Hunter, check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you later.